welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. I went to the dentist a number of weeks ago and um, I'm sitting waiting in the waiting room. How many of us get frustrated with that? And uh, I found over the years that more often than not, the people that come in after you seem to go in before you. It really tests the salvation work of Jesus in my heart. I don't know how you feel about those things. Um, But eventually somebody came to me and she said, "Uh, Mr. Foster, um, it's it's your time. And I I said, yes, I know. I should have been seen at whatever time. She said, no, it's your time. And uh, I I waited for a moment because I wondered what she meant. And I realized pretty soon into that conversation that she was saying something slightly different than it's my time. What she was saying is it's my turn. In other words, I could go in to see the dentist. Now, for many, many reasons, when we have young people like this and they experience God and something wonderful happens, we say it's their time. In other words, this is the appointed time. They've been given this moment in their life where God is saying to them, from here on in, things have to be different for you. And uh, God is creating and opening an opportunity for that to happen. But we need to say, and this is the agreement we need to have with this, no, no, it's not just your time, it's your turn. And what I mean by that is people get to have a go at the things of God. I think one of the greatest advocates for that kind of interaction with the body ministry is a guy called John Wimber who believed every Christian, every Christian had the capacity in their priestly and, and, and body kind of you know, ministry as, as part of the, the, the extended body of Christ to, to prophesy or to lead or to pray or to evangelize. And I think sometimes in the church we wait till somebody's 106 because then we think we can trust them. And the only reason we can trust them at 106 is they're too old to get up to any nonsense. Okay? And we think that avoiding that kind of sin uh, you know, possibility gives them some kind of clarity. Do you know, you can never judge from the outside what someone's heart is really like. Don't be fooled by gray hair. Don't think there's wisdom because people have gray hair. And don't think there's no fire because people have gray hair. God does not look at the outward appearance. He looks upon the inward appearance. And just because somebody's old doesn't make them wise. I know lots of people who are quite old and they're not very wise. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. I'm closing my eyes as I say that. But, but that is not a character. In fact, sometimes people are less wise in their older ages than they were in their younger ages. They're trying to make up for lost time. But we're not in the business as a church of just declaring things over people. We need to create opportunity and, and avenues for our young people to be able to stand in places like this and other places of influence. It's not just their time. It is indeed their turn. Can anyone say amen to that? I just, I, I'm going to say some things I feel God's just telling me to say. Is that okay? The next six months is going to be wild. God is about to, to bring increase and, and um, there's a building. I keep hearing this when I'm praying for the church. This is a season to build. God is going to bring favor and people are going to be attracted to this house for all of God's purposes. It's going to be quite an exceptional time. And you may find that you're not necessarily aware of some of those things, but they are indeed already happening in the background of your life. God is moving some things into place for our future. So get ready because things are about to get really interesting. Okay. <laughs> Do you know it's easier to preach at home than it is here? At least the two girls and the dogs nod in all the right places. Okay, Psalm 112. Psalm 112. 
We said last week as we started this journey of summer in the Psalms that this man really is one of those kind of people that I think we can all identify. He's not named as anyone of a particular sense of significance or value and we have no idea where he lived or what the context of his life was. But somehow, somehow the way he lived reached the heart of God in heaven and his story is written in Psalm 112. These are the principles of how he lived his life. And the Psalm starts with declaring that this is the virtuous man or the righteous man. In other words, this man lived an impeccable life before God. Aren't you grateful to God that it's not all about platforms and positions? Aren't you grateful to God that he sees what other people don't see? Aren't you grateful to God that as you live your life to the best of your ability in whatever context you find yourself in, his eye is on you, his heart is with you, his hand is resting upon your life. And who knows, maybe one day your story will be told and people will enjoy the great things that God taught you. It's not about platforms. It's not about positions. It's about a posture of heart before the Lord. And this man clearly had that posture. And so we last week discovered the first four virtues of his life, things that he had um, discovered about the nature of how to live in relationship with God. And we're going to read the whole psalm. Why not? Let's read the scriptures together. It's a, a wild day in CLC. Psalm 112. It starts with, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. Isn't that just the word of the day to us all? Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts will be steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. I just declare that over someone's life today. No fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be filled high with honor. The wicked will see and be vexed. They will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. I'm sure the Lord will bless the, the reading of his word. Father, we just ask not for your presence because we know you're already here. But Lord, we ask that you would awaken in us every capacity we have to be able to receive your word. For we long, Father, more than anything, not just to have head knowledge about you, but for our hearts to be filled to overflowing with the realities of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't want to go over the first four principles of this man's life. You can see that on our website if you want to. But let's pick up on the fifth principle. It comes from um, Psalm 112, verse 2. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Should we say that out loud together? And what this is trying to teach us, and I think what the righteous man discovered, is that so often, for many of us, we live in this moment. We have this kind of orientation to a very circumstantial approach to our spirituality. Our greatest needs seem to be our prayers. We seem to be consistently orientated to the temporal, without very much perspective of the eternal. In the book of Corinthians 10, 
13, sorry, 10, it says at the end, these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. And I've said to you before, it's a, it's a bolt of lightning to me that so often in my life, I'm caught up with things that really have no eternal value whatsoever. They're just day-to-day living things. I get so wound up by something that's temporal, and I don't get inspired to live for that which is eternal. And as you look in the New Testament, you'll see that one of the greatest profound realities of the New Testament church is they lived with a heavenly perspective. I remember when I first became a Christian, I think it was one of the pastors in the church at the time. He said, Simon, you are too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. It was wrong. If I am not heavenly minded... If my mind is not caught up with the possibilities of God, then what is working itself out is logic or common sense or human understanding. I want my mind to be fixed on the impossible. I want my mind to be engaged with the incredible. I want my mind to be caught up with the phenomenal aspects of the nature and the power of God. Because if I'm living here in this very broken world, I need resources to be able to do that effectively. But if you're caught up with the temporal, if your whole life is about here and now and what you have and who you are and what you think you need, then you will miss some of the greater things that God has for you. And so this man, he begins to draw our attention to something that is so profound for all of us to think about because we really do think we are the center of this world. His thought is this, God always works generationally. God always works generationally. From generation to generation is the steadfast love of God. So right now, right here, while I'm living my best life for Jesus, God is preparing in me and hopefully preparing through me for the generations that are to come. You see, if we really started to think about what just happened on the platform here, we'd understand this, that this is not just a moment, this is a Kairos moment, where God is moving something to a new generation to raise them up in their fullness. And if you're old, don't get offended by that. You had your turn. You had your turn. It's time for God to bring other people to the fore because he has a plan and a purpose that we have as yet not been able to fulfill. And God always raises people when he begins to do something fresh and something new. Say amen. In the revivals I've seen, God brings people from the back of the church to the front of the church and we would never have chosen them. But God put his hand on their life and they're filled with fire and passion and they take the kingdom of heaven into a new dimension and a new direction. And for the rest of us who are old and wrinkly and waiting to be discovered, it's a moment where our character is tested by God because you don't have to be at the center of it all. The only person who has to be at the center of it all is Jesus himself. That's the only person. And if God chooses to raise another person, what is that to you? What is that to you? So we need to start thinking generationally. If I was to put a plan in place for that in my life, I would like to think as a community, what would we like, what would our children's work look like in 10 years time? Now, one of the strengths of a church like this is not only do we have a reasonably strong youth work, but we have a very strong children's work. But, you know, we're not babysitting children. We're not here to give you a break while you listen to this wonderful sermon. That's not what this is. It's not a babysitting service. What we are wanting to do from the cradle to the grave 
is raise people to love Jesus with all their hearts, with all their minds, and with all their strength. And of course, when you start to think like that, it becomes clearer what you have to do to get there. So we get caught up in the temporal. We think all we have to do is provide a service on a Sunday. We think, you know, if we gather a few people together and we worship Jesus, that's enough. No, it's not. God has a plan. It's a generational plan. From everlasting to everlasting is the love of God. And he moves generationally, always moves generationally to bring forth the kind of people that he can trust for that generation that is to come. I don't know about you, but I look around now and I don't recognize the world I grew up in. But these young people who are standing with us today, they know it well and they see it clearly. And in 20 years time, they'll stand where I'm standing and say, I don't recognize the world. God has to raise a generation in each generation to sustain and to increase his kingdom advancement. That's exactly what he's doing. And if we start thinking generationally, then we'll start thinking a little bit more like God. Now, I've got good news and bad, for you, bad news for you. The good things that God wants to pass on to generations, we all say, hallelujah. Do you know what I would love to see? A whole bunch of young people leading their friends to Jesus. Wouldn't you love to see that? Come on, talk to me, come on. I would love to see rabid, rabid, passionate disciples of Jesus who are so keen to win their friends for God. I believe we're seeing some of that already happening now. And there'll be many others who come because there is an end time harvest that God is preparing. Some of your children who don't come to church have been disinterested in things thus far, will be caught up in the groundswell of the power of the Spirit as God brings forth people from hidden places into public positions. This is going to be a phenomena that we will see in an end time reality. And God is going to do that with all of the love and tenderness that he has to raise a generation for his purposes. Some of you think my son is never going to walk with Jesus. You have no idea because you're thinking temporarily, God thinks generationally. Some of us think my kids are never going to find the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we discovered that in a tent somewhere up the road from here, the Holy Spirit is alive and well. Amen. And God is working in young people's lives. Amen. Amen. And what we need to do is shift away from the temporal disappointments and circumstances of life and start to see with God the eternal perspective that from generation to generation, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God is raising a generation to do great and mighty works for him. I'm so excited about the future. It's just the present I really struggle with. <laughs> if I'm honest, I'm so excited about the future. I, I'm looking forward to the day when my daughter stands somewhere and leads people in worship. She has a priestly anointing on her door. Perhaps she could help her out. She's very shy, unlike her father. Actually, it's her mother. But the truth is, it's her father. Prodigals are coming home. They're coming home. The wayward children are coming back. Just visualize them in your heart, being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and worshiping God. Don't let your imagination be caught up with disappointment. Reappoint your imagination to the purposes of God. You know, as we begin to dream his dreams, we'll start to see his realities come to pass. Am I preaching to somebody here? But it's not just the good things that get passed on. It's the bad things. 
It really is the truth. And can I just say this to you because I love you. Our young people need to see you passionately loving Jesus. Now, I don't want you to fake it till you make it, but some of us, we come and we wait for something to happen. You're the something that's happening. Nobody else is going to come and wave some magic dust over your broken heart. You need to awaken the song within your life. It's not okay for our young people to see apathy and lethargy in the life of the believers that stand ahead of them. Am I wrong, Dawn? I'm not wrong. Am I wrong, Angel? No, I'm not. And, and the measure that you reveal the goodness of God will be the measure they start from. They will stand on your shoulders of breakthrough and they will experience something, something profoundly more than you and I have experienced. So I will not be someone who's confined by the temperature of an environment. I will be someone who creates an environment. I have decided long ago that the pattern of this world will not define my spiritual experience with God. But I will define this world by my passion and experience with God. We are not here to be to be confined and restricted. So I'm going to break off religion in Jesus' name. I think, you know, some of us have been living in a tunnel for so long, it's time to come out into the light. Let's call you out. Come out of the light. Depression, anxiety, fear. Come on out of the light. Come into the light. Let the Lord speak. Let the Lord minister to you. And Lord, put a new song in our hearts. The very first time I visited Hockley Pentecostal, raised as a Catholic, where you had to sit down, shut up, and cross yourself 40 times in the service. Okay, I mean, I'm not going to be critical of it. I love the bells, the smells, and the frocks were amazing. But the truth is, the truth is, I had never seen people in love with Jesus. And when I went to Hockley, for the first time in my life, 24 years of age, my eyes were opened to joy. People liked God. They weren't enduring Him. They liked Him. He was a joy to them. And I remember one lady, she was my favorite at Hockley. She was a small, little, petite old lady, and she had the croak in her voice of someone of great age. And she would say this while it went quiet, which it rarely did in Hockley. She would say, you're the lily of the valley. You're the rouse of Sharon. And you know, every single time as a young man, 24, living my outrageous life, I would be moved to tears by the tenderness of heart of a lady that had walked faithfully with Jesus all of her life. On her own, sitting in a pew amongst hundreds of other people, she moved me. She moved me with her love and her devotion for Jesus. I think we need to move our young people with our love and our devotion for Jesus. I think there are young people spectating, waiting for an avenue to say, does it, does it look like that? What does it look like? Is it, is it like them? Do, do they demonstrate that? I think it's time to arise and to shine for the light has come and to create an environment of possibility and hope and expectation. Old ladies have a lot to do with my testimony. Another lady that completely ruined me for Jesus in a positive way was a lady called Molly. Molly used to be in your mom and dad's home. And it was her nephew that led me to Jesus. And he went back to America and he said, can you pop in and visit my mom? My auntie, sorry. And I, I'd never visited people in old people's homes. You know, I was a young happening thing. <laughs> I was a legend in my own head. You know, one of those things. And I remember swishing in, I mean, walking into that old people's home. 
smelling of Hugo Boss and dripped in all kinds of designer clothes. And I'd go up and I'd sit with Molly and Molly would start talking about heaven. She'd start saying things like this. I remember in all the chaos of my life, just having these moments with her where I just thought, how breathtaking. She'd say, I can't wait to be with my Jesus. I can't wait to be with him, Simon. If only you knew how beautiful he truly is. If only you understood how incredible God really is. And he loves you, Simon. And he loves you, Simon. And one day, though I'm, my body is weak, I will dance on the streets that are golden. I will celebrate Jesus. I will be free. I'll be able to move and rejoice. Will you come, Simon? Will you come to... I said, God, I'm not visiting her again. She's mad. She's mad. You know, you go and visit people and it's for no person. You don't want to talk about death, do you? You want to talk about life, but she used to talk about dying all the time. And I'd go home and I'd say to my mom, I can't get my head around that woman. All she talks about is being with Jesus. And my mother with the flag, ah, they're off the head, those Christians, you know, they're all off the head, those Christians. And, uh, but Molly just moved me. Imagine having, listen, that eternal perspective. Imagine having that understanding that she was raising a generation, me sitting opposite her, who would come into the place where she had always lived, which was in the presence and the person of God. She was calling me forth by demonstrating to me what God really looks like for her. Church, it's time to raise the ceiling of our worship. It's time to raise the ceiling of our excitement and our passion for Jesus. It's time to rise and shine for the light has come. And as we do that, we prepare for the generations to come a place to stand that is good train a child up in the way he should go and when he is old it will not depart from him proverbs 22 verse 6 we are teaching people things without realizing we are teaching them the next principle i find in this is the principle of abundance now i know some of you think that I was talking to somebody recently and uh, they, they said something to me and they said something along these lines. It's a, an old phrase. Um, God will keep you humble and we will keep you poor. <laughs> and I said, you know, God bless you. Push off in the name of Jesus. <laughs> what if I was to tell you that God wants you to prosper? And the problem isn't God wanting you to prosper. The problem is your capacity to receive. Some of us, we believe that God is tight. He's withholding things. God is not tight. He's the God of the pressed down, shaken up and overflowing realities. Now, before we get caught up with saying, you know, God wants me to be healthy, wealthy, happy and wise. Let's just start with wise for a moment. Because you can be wealthy and not be wise. You know that, don't you? You can be healthy and not be wise. I think wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is living in an awe and a relationship with God where he is at the center and at the foremost of every decision that you make. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. Now, please, let me just pick that apart from you. That's not your agenda as you bring it in prayer before God. That's not your buzz list of things you would like God to do. You know, God, I'd like to live in Edgebaston. Father, I'd like to be the head of that empire. You might find that as you say that out loud, there's a little check in your spirit. <laughs> you know, this is not your want list before God. God has plans. 
has plans to prosper, to bless, to give you a hope and a secure future. And you have plans to be prosperous, to be blessed, to have hope, and to secure a nice, tidy little future. Some of you are planning your retirement and you're only 20-something. You're investing in the time that is to come. Can I just say all of those things are fine, but listen to me carefully. The kind of prosperity that God offers us is so much more than earthly and material wealth. But it does include earthly and material wealth. There is nothing blessed about being poor unless you're poor in spirit. Okay, that's allowed and expected and indeed desirable by God. But being poor in spirit is not necessarily being poor. You can be um, poor in spirit and have great wealth. It's about walking in humility before God, walking in expectancy before God. So, let me tell you something that I think would draw that kind of favor towards you. Firstly, accepting that God is the God of abundance. In the New Testament where Jesus is introduced to Peter for the first time, the expert fisherman, Jesus demonstrates to Peter what is a prophecy that will come to pass many, many years later as he stands on the streets of Jerusalem and preaches. Peter goes out being obedient to Jesus, puts down his nets in the middle of the day, knowing that fish don't come to the surface at the beginning of the middle of the day, it's too warm. And he gets a catch of fish that is so great, there are all kinds of kingdom principles, I don't have the time to go into it. But what God was trying to show Peter is that prior to this moment, Peter, you lived with a great understanding of lack. And when you have an experience of lack, every penny is a prisoner and every success is a prize and so living from lack when you come into a relationship with the God of abundance will cause you to define and confine what God can do in your life because you have already got a stronghold a stronghold is the way you think and therefore the way you act okay you have a stronghold that is coming from and is experienced and rehearsed as a result of lack. So God, in his great wisdom for Peter, interrupted his understanding of how the whole world worked. For Peter who worked hard day and night, for Peter who toiled when people were asleep, for Peter who was rehearsed, for Peter who understood these principles, Jesus comes and completely annihilates the world as Peter understood it. Why? Because in the kingdom of heaven, there is no lack. That was a great place to say amen, you miserable so-and-sos. Or is that just lack presenting itself? In the kingdom of heaven, there is no lack. God has unlimited resources at his disposal. All day, every day. Now, you know we're hearing on the news, there's a recession coming. In the kingdom of heaven, there's no recession. There's no recession. And in fact, if we understood how God thinks about those matters, the economy of our world would not be the thing that distracts us. It's the economy of heaven that should define us. 
My God is able to do immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us and in Christ Jesus. Amen. So you're not serving a God who lacks anything. So if you're living like someone who's had lack, you will define your life. I, I, I went to a church a number of years ago. I'm going to finish with this. Um, I went to a church a number of years ago in Toronto in a place called Stratford where Justin Bieber's mom went to church. It's the church that Justin Bieber was raised as a Christian in. Impressed, aren't you? He wasn't there. He wasn't there. And this church was built by John and Carolina. It was a circular building with no windows. Okay, you had to come out into the foyer to get light. So it was like a little dungeon. And uh, I was asked to come and speak at this prophetic conference. And at this prophetic conference, the Holy Spirit said to me, there are people here who have stored up for themselves treasures on earth. I want you to speak into that. And so I began to speak into that, saying there's people, you've got bank accounts full of money, and the church needs to, to, to express the, the love of Jesus in the community, and you're re withholding, and you're restricting what God wants to do. Well, you know, it was just a, a comment. Just a comment. And the pastor, who was a friend of mine, a lady, came to me at the end, and she was furious. And she said this to me. She said, we are teaching our children how to have savings, and you've just turned up and told them that really we shouldn't have savings. We should be giving and releasing our money into the kingdom of God. And I asked her a question. I said, why do we need savings when we have a God who has resources What are you saving for? A rainy day? It's raining. It's raining. Here's what happens. Where your treasure is, your heart will be there for also. And some of the reasons why we struggle with all this concept of God's blessing is because we have a resource that we have provided for ourselves. One last story about how poverty mindsets can create things. Um, new pastor in Bristol, been there a couple of months, a young man came to me and he said, Pastor, I'd like to be married. I said, well, that would be great. Do you have a girl in mind? Yes, um, he had a girl in mind. And we started a little bit of a marriage prep with them. Now, this young lady came from Poland and she'd had a very difficult life. Um, and she loved this young man. She loved him greatly. Be kind of late 20s, early 30s. She was a little bit younger. And so I start talking to them. And uh, you know, as you do when you talk with people, she was saying things like this. He won't let me buy cushions. You know, we're trying to get this house ready. We're moving in. Where are you buying your cushions from? I thought it would be John Lewis or, you know, Primark. How, how much are cushions in Primark? Two pound? I said, gosh, is money that tight? And he said, yes, it is. I said, well, I'm sorry. If we can do anything to help you with the wedding, I'll, I'll, the church will you know, pay for the flowers and we'll get someone to do the photography. And we carried on this conversation and I'm getting up at six to go and look at flowers in the marketplace and all of these things. And then one day I'm, ch I'm chatting with her again and she said, he's gone and bought another Beatles vinyl album. I said, how much was that? She said, I think he paid about 600 pounds for it. I said, hang on a second. I'm getting up at five in the morning to get you flowers for free. You can't afford to have cushions that are two pound from Primark. And he's spending 500 pounds on an album by the Beatles. Oh, he loves his collection pasta. I said, get him in here now. 
get him in here now. So he comes in, we're sitting down, and um, we're chatting through. I said, talk me through your finances, you know. Um, I don't wish to be, you know, intrusive, but obviously the church is helping out a little bit with your wedding. Do you have any savings? Well, we do. Well, he said, no, we don't. I do. It's a bad sign, that is. It's a bad sign. I said, no, no, no. When you get married, it'll be we do. <laughs> all that you have and all that you are, you give to her. Okay, that's what you're going to stand and say. So no withholding here now, boy. Okay, let's keep it clear. And uh, I said, how much money have you got in the bank? He said, 74,000 pounds. Seven. I said, are you having a jaff? I mean, are you having a laugh? 74,000 pounds and I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go down to the market to buy flowers for you because you can't afford to pay. He said, well, pastor, we don't want to be frivolous. I said, no, you want to be frivolous. You spent 500 pounds on a record last week, but she can't have two pound cushions. See, the problem with some people is they're down to their last million. And in their heads, they think like they're poor. And how can God bless someone who has that kind of mindset? If you're holding on, then you won't be able to receive. If you're clutching at everything, then how can you be free to receive from the Lord? Now, I'm not suggesting that you have nothing in the bank. In fact, I'm saying that might be a good idea for some of you. But if your trust and your security is based on those realities, then you're not living in a confident relationship with the God of abundance. And God wants to supply all your needs. Notice the word need according to his riches in glory. If you don't have need... You won't have supply. You won't have supply. In fact, if we understood how the kingdom worked, we would want to be the neediest people we could possibly be. Because if God will supply all my needs, then I need more needs. Amen? Anyway, have a good week. <laughs> we'll come back to this next week. Someone should pray, I think. Yeah, Father, thank you for your word. Amen. Bless you. Have a good week.